Hello, Charlie Gladstone here, and welcome to my Mavericks podcast. Thank you very much as ever for joining me. Today's conversation is probably long overdue. It's with Roger Phillips. Roger has been a massive supporter of the Good Life Experience and has come to us and asked nothing in return for the past four years, where he has led his now legendary mushroom forages across the Harden Estate and come back with a vast bounty of mushrooms. There's something um, really magnificent about watching Roger and his merry troop head off from the campfire cooking sessions at the festival, where up to 100 people will follow his booming voice and his red berry, and I suppose his commanding presence, as they wander through the fields and spend far longer out there finding mushrooms than I think any of them imagined, and indeed find many more mushrooms than any of them imagined. Roger is probably the world's greatest expert on mushrooms and foraging for them, if not the greatest, certainly one of the greatest. But he's also a polymath. He's a brilliant painter and an author of over 50 books, and also a terrific authority on subjects as wide as trees and flora. Uh, two of his early books were on flowers and trees and are really amazing books. If you're looking for a definitive text on mushrooms or trees or flowers, then you can go um, to his books and you'd really be hard pressed to find a better collection. He's 85 years old as well. Roger is someone who I suppose is, is really true to himself. Some people would call him an eccentric, but I think that implies a sort of madness, which I don't think in any way is relevant here. He certainly lives, as it were, on the outside of society and, and, as he explains, doesn't necessarily believe in rules. But he's an academic, an intellect, highly cultured and extraordinarily energetic, not just for his age, but for any age. I could have actually talked for ages and ages, but this had to be kept to under an hour or none of you would probably have listened to it. And that's a bit of a cliche, saying we could have talked for ages. But in this case, it's true. And as you'll discover as you listen to this, we literally barely touch the sides of Roger's life. The ostensible reason for going to see Roger at the moment was that he has a new book that he's hoping to publish on Unbound. The book is about 70% of its way towards being financed. And it would be great if you went to Unbound, brilliant publisher, and got your name in his book and got a copy of his new book. He showed me the workings for it and it is a massive task and I think it's going to be really wonderful. Anyway, I went to his flat, which is three stories at the top of a house in Pimlico in London. Outside is a communal garden that he's in charge of and I rung the bell and went up the stairs, actually in the complete dark, I couldn't find the light. I don't know if you ever have that thing where you go into someone's house and there just isn't a light on the stairs. Anyway, I found my way up and as Roger opened the door, there was the light and there is in the flat, Roger and his wife Nikki's very distinct take on maximalism. There is stuff everywhere. Not clutter, but pictures, ornaments, books, DVDs. It's literally everywhere. I went up to the top of the house and had a quick chat with Nikki. And then Roger and I sat in their unusual kitchen bedroom combination and had this chat. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Roger Phillips. I suppose a good place to start is you're probably the most well-known forager 
in the world, certainly in Europe. But but I knew you as a or as a young person for your book on trees. Yes. Um, and, Which is and, now forty-five years ago. Or and something. you started out with that. And trees and flowers, I think. Am I right? I did, flowers were my very first. Right. And trees was my second. So flowers took off, and the publisher said, "What next?" And I said, "Oh well, I could try trees." And and did you have a, an enormous interest in in yes. flowers and trees? Yes. Yes. Yeah. For, uh, yes. As a child. Yes. Um, I suppose I had more interest in mushrooms, quite honestly. Right. But uh, um, during the war, my parents lived in Uxbridge, and I guess when the Blitz came, I mean, I don't know, when the Blitz came along, they sent my brother and I to live with our grandparents, which was only out in Hertfordshire, but on their farm. And so I spent all those years, didn't go to school until I was about nine or ten or something, um, wandering about in the woods and fields. But that was just you, or you and your brother. I mean, was it was it just, was it magic? I mean, was it some was there some sort of magical time or moment for you then? Uh, well, I was always very happy, but I, I tend to be happy all the time. You know, right? You're like that. Well, I was going <laughs> to ask about that. I, yes, I think everything's going to be good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But but so but as a child, you you left. London, or the, the outskirts of London, and went to the countryside during the Blitz, but was there some sort of something cathartic there, or, or, or My um, catalytic? My I think. Right. They were wonderful. I adored them. And Absolutely. My grandmother was probably quite eccentric. She, she used to say, oh, Roger's going to be Prime Minister, for no apparent reason. She always thought everybody in the family was going to be the biggest or the best of... Whatever was going, she had that sort of divine faith in. And so, did she not only she gave you also the confidence to sort of take this further and make a career of it? Did she? I guess it helped my confidence. I think I was always fairly confident. Mm. But so, so you you moved to the country and and you, I mean, how does one? The, the thing that always amazes me about mushrooms is how do you sort of start to know about them without killing yourself? Yes, uh, not on my grandmother's farm. She would sort out all the mushrooms we have and just chuck anything. She, there wasn't a field mushroom out, really, basically. Right, OK, OK. So she didn't know. And the, the whole of England was very ignorant about mushrooms. Um, I, that side of it, I start, I, um, it's a, a bit muddled the way I'm putting it. Um, when I was doing my wildflower book, I realised, walking and trying to do the woodland flowers, that there were hundreds of mushrooms all over the place. Right, OK, OK. And so I, I thought, oh, God, this is interesting. I think I'm going to get into this. So then I sort of put that at the back of my mind for when I finished doing trees or whatever I was working on and realised this was all going on out there and no-one was touching it. Because whereas in France, for example, you can take your mushrooms into any chemist. You still yeah. can, I think, and, and I think get them identified. Can, yes. yes, yes. I think in Germany as well. Yes, and and wh why do you think that was in this country? We're very peculiar. We still are. Um, the herbalists um, eschewed mushrooms completely. They said they were the spittle of the devil, or you know, there are all sorts of bits in the old herbals. 
Is that right? What you Shame mean in the very in the sort of middle from the Middle yeah, Ages? Yeah, the sixteen hundred, that yeah. sort of date. When they started writing the herbals, they all said, "Oh, they come out of evil. They come from lightning and toads and." How interesting! God so I don't God. actually even know. And that what... was an English attitude, whereas on the continent they'd been eating them for two thousand years. What are the? Sorry, what what are the herbals? What do you mean? I don't. I don't. The, the guides to herbs, or yes, the first sort of books. I suppose in English on plants were ancient herbals like Gerard, whom you possibly heard of, um, and they wrote about all sorts of. I mean, basically, they were talking medicinally, I suppose. Um, so this will be good for a poultice, for bruising, this for menstruation, this for whatever. Whereas in in. Europe or other parts of Europe, they, they were already recognising that mushrooms were, were not only beneficial but, but good to eat as well. Yes, yeah. yes, and medicinally good for you as well. How interesting. So you think that the, as it were, sort of fast-forwarding to your grandmother, that her relationship, i.e., you know, only field mushrooms are any good, possibly stemmed from the fact that anyone who lived in the country had always been told that they were either not interesting or, at best, but at worst, bad for you as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or evil, yes. I, do, I think that um, Robert Graves had a different theory, but I don't think it necessarily holds water. He, his theory was that the Druids forbade the eating of wild mushrooms, so they reserved for themselves the eating of hallucinogenic mushrooms which they then issued when it was the winter solstice or something. Right. So Robert Graves, uh, I think all his theories mean that you have to be high to enjoy it or whatever. So his theory was that the Druids got the populace high and then, then the Druids claimed they made the sun come up. But everyone was just actually high. Yeah. How interesting, yes. That, but, 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 I mean, I was going to ask you about that because, I mean, sim simultaneous to your to the starting to be an interest in a slightly wider group of edible mushrooms, the whole hallucinogenics thing took off at roughly yes. the same time, didn't yes. it? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're comparing Britain with Britain. Yes, Britain with the Britain. the edible had taken yes. off years, Russia, they've... Yes, no, what I mean, sorry, I mean in Britain. So yes. you're, you're publishing your first mushroom book in yeah. 1980, I think. Okay, 80. 81. Yeah. And, 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 I mean, there's really quite a high interest in hallucinogenics then. Yes. Yeah. Very much so, yes. Yeah. And although you're known for being a, a you know, as it were, superficially, I guess, in the correct term, um, uh, you know, relate, your, your relationship is primarily with edible or, or inedible mushrooms as such, uh, does the hallucinogenic thing really interest you as well? Not particularly. I'm, I don't myself no. indulge in it. But the, folk, I mean, the folkloric aspects of it? younger and people were doing all that stuff around me they used to say oh take no notice of bloody roger he doesn't need it <laughs> and that was the case yes. you know they were that perhaps rather shy people were giving themselves confidence to do it and I, I just thought well what a lot of rubbish i shall have another pint yes so it was, it was really it's the food thing that's that's interested you yes no i yeah. didn't get into it from no. the hallucinogenic angle at all. And then, and so, your mushroom book, which was the, your third book, was it? There was, uh, I was Flowers, Trees, Mushrooms. I started working on it almost immediately after finishing Flowers. 
but it didn't come out until about the fifth book. Right, okay. Because it took six a long, or seven years. A long yeah. time. And, and that has been, that's the book really for which you're known, isn't I it? I think so. Yes. Yes. And, and that's your biggest selling book that's been reprinted? Possibly endlessly. Flowers and Trees possibly sold more. Right. I, we don't, it's impossible to get figures out of Macmillan. They've changed production managers and haven't kept up the paperwork. So you go back 10 years and they say, oh, I don't know, we haven't got any, we don't know how many we ordered. Right, you okay. Know, but, Does, and and I then mean, they it can... must be in the 35th edition printing or something. Extraordinary. And, and, and did you ever, I mean, could, was there, what, at what point did you begin to realise that something was really going on with, with foraging in this country? Because it feels like... You know, we're clearly a long way behind Germany, lots of parts of Eastern Europe, Southern Europe, Spain, yes. Italy, France. But in the last 15 or 20 years, there has been a, a real growth in this, hasn't there? I mean, to the yes. point that we're actually, we're actually slightly yes. pillaging the land. I, and I just happened to drop into it, I think. It wasn't by design at all. What, you have to go back to my background. Um, I'd been in advertising. When I left art school, I went into advertising. As a sort of art director, I worked at a place called Ogilvy and Mather, and we had lots of food accounts. So I worked on eggs and milk and quite a lot of booze accounts, which was very nice. Um, so I was working with chefs and cooks and food photographers all the time. So, the, and, but I'd always been, my father was born in Lancashire, and he had a sort of. Was born in? Lancashire. Right, okay. Yes, in Rhodes. Right. Um, and he had, uh, he wasn't a chef at all, but he had this very down to earth thing about some dishes. So he would cook tripe, and my mother couldn't stand the smell. She would go away for the day or for a couple of days, in fact, if he was cooking tripe. And he'd cook pig's trotters and tongues and make brawn, get a pig's head and make brawn. So, and he always enjoyed that. Yes. And I enjoyed him doing it. Literally, my mother would keep out. She couldn't bear boiling pig's heads. And, and then things. this all became very fashionable with Fergus Henderson, obviously, and yeah. this head-to-tail eating thing. But, but okay, so, so... I came from a background like that. A proper sort of foodie, kind of rural foodie farmer background. Yes. Yeah. And, and my grandparents... Very pure. Yeah. I mean, it, it really was just... So I suppose in many ways, and there are so many interesting themes here, um, and I want to go back to your original career, but, but you are, you remain to this day in many ways a, a pure countryman. Yes, I suppose so, yes. I mean, my, my dad was like that. He called himself a country bumpkin, which I think was yeah. a bit derog self-derogatory. But, yes. But, you know, you, that, that's what, that's, that captured your imagination, age nine or whatever. Yes. And has stayed yes. with you ever since. Absolutely, yes, yes. So... When my son, um, I've been married twice, my son from my first marriage was about seven. I was with Nicky at the time. Um, I felt he was growing up a townie and I wanted to see him covered in mud as I had been in my youth. Um, so we, we had him at the weekend, the arrangement was, we had him every Sunday in fact. And what we did was go out into the country and cook our food on an open fire. So that was in as early as 1970. And 
we always enjoyed it. We went out whatever the weather, snow, ice, rain. And would you go somewhere different every, every week? No, we tended to go to the same place, which wasn't actually that far away. It was in Denham, uh, where there's a river and a canal and a sort of wasteland, really, and woods that no one cares about. Um, so, so we did that, and he then, after we'd done it two or three times, he started inviting the odd friend. And then the friend would come and word sort of spread. So we'd actually go out, quite a mob of us, sometimes 25 or something, and some of the parents would come. How lovely. And everybody enjoyed it. Did you go on the train or drive? Drive. Drive. Yeah. So it's very interesting, this. Um, as I think you know, I'm, Caroline and I are massive advocates of this idea of trying to get children outdoors as much as you can. Absolutely. When you say you wanted your son, age seven, to do it, why, what was the reason? Why did you want him to do that? I think it's sort of romantic, really. I think I was looking back on my youth and being with my grandparents and wandering about in the fields and treading in cowpats and mm. not worrying about it. And, you know, I've, I felt he was growing up like a city person, which I suppose I didn't want to happen. No, but, it, but in an interesting way, from what you've just hinted at and, and we'll come back to, you were working for, a, for you know, the most famous advertising agency in Britain, possibly yeah. one of the most famous in British history. So you were actually ended up at this stage in your life doing something incredibly urbane and certainly very urban. I mean, you were yes. a, an urban yes. sophisticate. Yes, yes, yes. So I was designing ads for the milk marketing board and things. Um, did, you, did you tumble into that out of art school or...? Uh, I sort of directed myself into it. Um, I felt at art school that there wasn't really a future in doing pure painting. And I think that we're talking about 1958 or something. Which art school uh, was this? Chelsea's just down the road here. Um, now down the road there. Yes, my son, my eldest there. son, our eldest son was there. At this one, the, the at new this, one? Yeah, the new one. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, but doing graphic communication, not fine art. Yes. And you, you were a fine artist, right? Yes. You? Yeah. Well, the, that's all there was. Right, okay. It oh, was art. absolutely tiny. Okay, yeah. In those days, I yeah. guess there were about 60 students altogether. Right. Something like that. There was sculpture and painting. End of story. And after, so after school, you decided that... You, were you quite a, a, a fully formed artist when you got there? I mean, had you had a good teacher at school? Yes, I think I had. Yes, who it was encouraging and so on. But I came to it by a roundabout route. My father was an accountant and sort of thought I would have a proper job. Um, and so there'd been a bit of that, but um, I then got called up um, and I opted out. I, I got called up, sent to Canada, and I was training to be a navigator in the Air Force. And I decided I wasn't going to do it. Right. So, which was fairly tricky. Yes. So I went to my commanding officer and I said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do this anymore. And, and I don't want to be trained to kill people. So were you, there, were you then, were you allowed to be a conscientious objector? Was that a thing? Uh, they, they couldn't. There's no such thing in the Air Force, of course. So what, what the chap said was, I can't deal with this. I'm going to send you back to England and they can deal with it. So I ended up weeks, months possibly later with a man called Sir Philip Slesser, who I think was Air Vice Marshal. I lose track. Right. And 
he's, we sat in his office and he said to me, there are three groups in the world. There's the Russians, the Americans and us. We all have the atom bomb. The Russians are complete maniacs. The uh, Americans have no idea what they're doing. We're the sane ones and we will make sure they don't start a war between them. And I looked at him and I said, and that's your theory, is it? And I looked at him and said, what a load of cods. <laughs> and he <laughs> smiled and yep. signed my release. Did he? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. he, he was trying to toe the party line and when he you weren't having it. He told me the party line. He didn't draw away from it himself, but it was fairly obvious. He did thought you... it was a load of cods, really. Yeah. Well, you, did, 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 you, did you have a sort of awakening or did you know this even when you went out to Canada? No, I had an awakening, which I put down of all funny things to Henry Miller. Um, I'd read most of Miller's books, but not particularly the sex ones, not the Tropic of Capricorn and Tropic of Cancer, most of the others. And he was a very free thinker, standing up for independence in every way. And um, you know, one of his expressions was, there's nothing lower than whale shit, that's the bottom of the ocean. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he... So he... And that was when you were... You were so it reading. was influential. Yes. That, yeah. And, and amongst yeah. other things. And, but it's, it's interesting, you're a free thinker um, and, and, you know, you are in many ways a, what I might define as sort of cultured bohemian. Yeah. And yet your work ethic has been staggering throughout your life. I mean, you know, you've worked, you've worked obviously clearly successfully, I'm assuming, for, yeah. for your advertising agency, yeah. and subsequently written and put together this, what, 50 books or yes. whatever it is. Yes. So it's, it's it is, so I don't, clearly being a, a cultured bohemian, if that's what you are, and a work ethic are clearly not mutually exclusive. No. But the, is it the sort of culture, the sort of creative spark, rather, that, that, do you th that makes you want to work yes. so hard, do you think? Yes. I mean, I always feel and have said, you have an idea for a book on the loo or something, takes you naught seconds, mm. and then you have to do, do the work. So, literally, then, there's... You know, yes, I mean, two ideas or three years of work, or yeah. if it's a mushroom book, ideas, five or ten years of work. Ideas are extremely easy to have. Yes. The execution yeah. of ideas is a completely different thing. Yes. Yes. But, I mean, I, I suppose it, it is just, although it's, it's not, clearly you're, you're not, you know, you are something of an exception to the rule in that you're quite a rebellious sort of military, object, you know, objector, yeah. not yeah. conscientious, but you were signed out, um, and, and, and yet you've worked very hard. But... How, do, how did the rest of society, I mean, your friends, your parents' friends, take to you being, you know, signed off or whatever the phrase was or the word is from the words are from the I don't know. I war. think I came from quite a liberal sort of background, so my parents never expressed any upset or worry about it. Right, because I mean, because I imagine that, yeah. that one, one gets the impression that there were sort of people spitting in the street when, you know, R. Phillips walked... Yeah. Past. I mean, you know, I, one just hears that. I don't know. That that has happened. Um, at one point, um, I I guess I thought I was a Republican, and I, I don't know if you remember, but in the theatre, at the end of a performance, they played "God Save the Queen" or "The King," whatever it was, and you stood up. Everybody stood up, and uh, once I sat down through the whole thing. 
I thought, no, I'm not standing up for that. That's nothing to do with me. And I sat down. And then you felt the sort of hatred. All Did you? That's very people. interesting because you imagine that we're much better at allowing that than, for example, the Americans who yes. might shoot you if you first yes. take your hat off. Yes. For the, um, but but, it, but it's, it's fascinating, Roger, to sort of see this very rapid evolution into... And, and then you, you, you get into Chelsea. I mean, they accept you on the grounds of your paintings. Because I'd been to every single class for the whole year. Right. When I, I went on my own account, as it sounded, I'd like to come full-time. And they said, oh, fine. And you'd been class... So you had, you'd had a sort of classical... the beginnings of a classical training. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely, yes. And, and, and your dream then... It was then, all about drawing. Yes. It was all about drawing and, and, and painting. And then you, you leave after three years of full-time yeah. education. And how do you end up in advertising? I thought that was... A, what, what had happened was, at Chelsea, um, one of my other great interests is jazz, so the music bit. Um, and I started a sort of jazz club thing at Chelsea. No-one else knew anything about jazz, really. But a mate of mine had started one at Regent Street, Polly, and um, George Mellian, people like that would... You know, they would all come for nothing. It was, yes, yes. In those days, everybody just... You know, you rang them up and they said, oh, yeah, OK, I'll be over. Well, it's a bit like our festival, actually. Yes, yeah, you know, they'd all just I think, turn up. No, I, th I, think, I guess you know, before festivals... Well, interest, well, my point being that I think interesting people are often looking for other interesting people to hang out with, even yeah. if they... It means they have to perform. Yes, and that seems to be in the case with us. But yeah. so jazz is a fast. That's that that. I mean, I I I can see you in jazz absolutely, um, absolutely uh, um, working together the two of you. Tell explain to me. I've asked Keris this question. She gave me a very eloquent answer. But but what is it about jazz? Because I struggle with it. I what is it about jazz that? How does one listen to jazz? God, what an enormous question. Um, I suppose the original attraction was that it was um, a, a, a illegal music, as it were. I mean, I got into it, I suppose, when I was about 16 or something, and all the people at school... I went to a boarding school, and all the musical people were all playing Schubert and uh, stuff all the time. And so... So we the, started getting... The dark, smoky record. bars. Well, uh, it was a boarding school, so we would sort of smuggle in 78s and play them on a wind-up gramophone. Um, if we played them at night, we had a system of putting a needle through a ruler and you could actually just have the ruler so it travelled across a 78 and you could hear the music. Not obviously... It's so quiet... But you could hear it. The, but you put your ear close to the ruler, and the, yeah. How? In, okay. Yeah. So, so you yeah. put the ruler, which gets pushed round and round. Yes. And and you can hear it. Well, like, the record, you you yeah. nail that to the table or something, so that it can move. But it's got a a needle in it. Uh, I'm sorry, I get it. Okay. And right. the record's okay. going round and round. How amazing. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. that yeah. So 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 actually. But the you initial why no no the, I suppose that's interesting that's a very good answer so the appeal of jazz for you was really exactly the same appeal that 
Punk might have had for me was that it was yes. just it was just different. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so it was it it, it was a it was sort it of was unconventional. A bit dangerous. A bit it pissed yes. your parents off. Yes, absolutely. Um, and the clothes were I cool. Mean, we used to go to London Jazz Club, but I mean it, it was actually terribly tame. Humphrey Littleton played every week, but not my parents, but some friend of mine's parents sent a private detective to find out what was going on. But it know, it's, yes, but expecting. I mean, you can never understand these seismic shifts in culture unless you see them in context. No. You say it was tame, but actually it was also very exciting. Yes, of course it was. Of course it was. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when I got to Chelsea full-time, I quickly started sort of organising something. So we, at lunchtime, we used to play records in the hall and people would gather around. You know, you get 40 or 50 would come. It, it was part, it was in the same building as a polytechnic. So there would be not only the people from the art school, people from the science students and math students and God knows what. And were you, were you all starting to dress like jazz fans or... Oh, or, yes, I expect yeah. so. Or music thing. There's not much difference. No, but that's part of the appeal of any form of cult yes, music, you know, you've got it? clothes that... Yeah, uh, they've uh, got to go with it. People in this. the street think are awful. Yes, clothes yeah. and, 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 and ways of talking and drinks yeah. and whatever. Yes, yeah, sure. yeah. Yeah, how interesting. And then, so... And, the, and then you're... I mean, you, you, st you continue to paint, you go into advertising, but this extraordinary thing happens and you become a a world-renowned expert on mushrooms and foraging and and and, and fauna and flora or flora yes. generally yeah i mean how how, how it does that grew so out of itself um i gave up advertising i suppose more or less at the height of my career and no one could really understand it i then set up as a photographer because literally i'd thought I'm paying all these bloody photographers. I mean, I, one of the things was I went over to America for some photograph I needed, and there was a man called Bert Stern. He worked for Vogue as a photographer. He was a big noise in the 50s. Yes, I mean, I know the name very well. Oh, you know yes. the name. Yes, well, yes, yes. And he made a wonderful movie um, called Jazz on a Summer's Day, where he, uh, which was a, a concert, which was a thing like you do, so there were continuous musicians, including Leo Armstrong and, and so on. But he filmed it beautifully in conjunction with the Rhode Island yacht race. So he was interspersing shots of these beautiful sailing ships with the jazz. So it would drift off, Louis would hit a high note and you'd see the sky and then you'd see the boats. Fascinating. Fascinating. It was wonderful. And you, so you wonderful. saw this and it blew your mind. But... Well, what had happened was I was an art director at the time. Well, that blew my mind. That had happened before. I think he made it in 1952 or something. Um, he, I had done a photograph for a campaign, an experimental. I did a lot of experimental photography for my advertising work. And I'd done a photograph... And the client said, ah, we want the artwork for this instantly. And it was Christmas, in fact. So I said, OK, I'll have to go to America because people don't work at Christmas in England. In America, half of them are Jewish and they all work. So I went over and 
um, talked to Bert Stern and I showed him my photograph and he said, what the fuck do you want me to do? The photograph looks absolutely fine to me. Brilliant. <laughs> and, and then he retook it and charged us, I suppose, I didn't care, it was a client's yeah. money, £10,000 yeah. or yeah, something. Yeah, whatever it was. And yeah. I thought, this is fucking crazy. Yeah, I can you do know, this what myself. What am I doing? Yeah. Yes, I, yeah. I did the original photograph and he then imitated it and I got paid nothing at all and he blah, blah. So I decided to set up in photography. So I just literally, with no more knowledge than that, sort of got a studio at Shaftesbury Avenue and, and set up. So much of photography, I've always, I've always felt, not being a photographer, but being a great lover of photography, so much is a case of you've either got it or you haven't, isn't yeah. it? I mean, it's an eye. Yeah. Which I think is very hard to train, isn't it? Yes, yes. Yes, I guess. I mean, you've got to learn. You've got to learn. Helps. I'm not saying. So, yes, but I mean, so much of it is kind of there yeah. in the way you look at things. Yeah, I sure. always think. Yeah, you've got to catch things, or whatever. Mm. So I ended up. Um, a friend of mine was working for Cordon Bleu, and they were doing a what's called a part work. They they were a big thing. In this was in about 1967-68. Part works were a big thing, so they would every week or month or whatever, they'd produce a, a thing. And Cordon Bleu did a part, a part work on cookery. What's this? Is the thing that you subscribe to and... You, you subscribe you... to it. I think they sold about a million yes. copies. It was yeah. the first one and in you get, cookery. And you get part work being you get, you get a, a, a bit each week or month you get, or whatever you get, it is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 50 recipes a month yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. Most of them illustrated. So I worked on that and... That, I'd set up, and the first week I got this job, so it paid the rent yes. for the next two years. So it was, I fell on my feet. I yes, suppose. and 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 then and you've just really carried on um, well, making amazing books. I was doing food photography then, but not not for books. But then I started finding that getting boring. That's when I started doing books. So I was doing photography on my own for about two or three years, and then I did my first book, so. So you, you uh, even at that stage, when you were taking a book into a publisher, you, you were doing everything? Yes. Writing, research, photography, Designing. design? Yes, yes, and that, Co that, conception. Is obviously. that quite unusual? Yes, I think it is, yes. Yeah. Yes, it's because I'd come from these, all these backgrounds Yes. So I could do the whole thing. It was the, yeah. yeah, it was the perfect convergence of all yeah. the things that you're yeah. interested in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, it's absolutely extraordinary. And, and, and now you are publishing your 50th or something book. Yes. And, 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 you, and it's interesting, this, because you've chosen to do it with Unbound. And you know that, we, that I know Dan Kieran and, yeah. and all the people from Unbound. And um, I, I'm, I'm incredibly admiring of, of what they're doing. Um, but I'm interested in, in why you would go to a you with your reputation and in many ways you're more probably more of the zeitgeist than you've ever been your yes. work at the moment. Why you would go to a crowd funding yes a publisher at this stage, Roger? It, it, it's that's something to do with publishing. Random House and Macmillan have now both given up doing illustrated books. They don't do them. They're, the board won't consider them they're considered unprofitable. So Random House stopped doing it about 10 years ago and Macmillan stopped three or four years ago. What do you mean by an illustrated book? 
Well, I mean, all all my books are profusely illustrated. Uh, as opposed to, so they as, will, a, as opposed to, ta- they will have tables. They'll have they'll have photographs. They'll have pictures, but they won't they won't deal in what, as it were, might be called academic sort of text books. I mean, no, you mean it, I know your books are illustrated um, with, so with books with pic. I mean, how an illustrated book. It, my books have pictures of everything. So I don't put in plants that don't have pictures. So the pictures are there for identification for the punter. Which they have to be, by yeah. definition, I yes. imagine. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, my wildflower book was the first time anyone had done it in photography. So it was sort of groundbreaking. Before that, they used illustration. Right. So the wonderful illustrated books and on mushrooms as well. I've got lots downstairs. I Part of my study for mushrooms was getting hold all, of all the ancient books. Yes, the original text. Books, yes. Yeah. Cook. So what? So so those both of those publishers with whom you I worked, I assume, Random House and Macmillan, yeah. kind of said to you, "Sorry, Roger, we're not. It's doing all over anymore. now." Yeah. 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 So, so that so to I least... tried a couple of other people, and. I didn't get anywhere. And then, um, do you know Elizabeth Leward, the cookery writer? Yes. Yes. Elizabeth said to me, oh, I've just gone with this um, crowdfunding publisher. Why don't you try that? So I did. And, and, and the book is still working towards its total, yes. is it? Yes, 66% now. And are you, do you find that a, a, a I mean, I know you're an, you're an optimist, but it always feels to me as if I would find that very worrying that I might not get there or are you just quite sanguine? Oh, you I just see. Think... No, I, I, I presume I'm going to get there. Yeah. Sorry, no, it never occurred to me. No. No. And they're very, they, so what you do with them is you send in your proposal and if they like it, they put it on the platform. Yeah. And once you've made your amount of money, the book will be published yes. and go to the people who have subscribed, but it might go a lot further. Well, hopefully it goes a lot further. Yeah. Yes. I mean, otherwise you won't make anything, of course. And what is different to this, what is different about this book? It's a a further book on foraging, and I'm referring to it as breaking new ground in foraging. So I'm looking at what people do in other countries as much as anything. So um, I'm doing a sort of article on... Um, two of the main Spanish mushrooms, the, the Lactaris deliciosus, which is the prime mushroom in Spain. And then the other one is Caesar's Amanita, which, of course, is popular in Italy as well. So I'm researching Italy and Spain for that to come up with recipes and so stories. It's, 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 um, it's that's something you haven't done before. I mean, it's, it's an academic book, but with... I'm pushing the boundaries yeah. out. Yeah. Looking into it. I've got we have a Czech gardener and I've got him getting his mother to write me a a Czech recipe. Etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So Are these mushrooms that you can find in Britain? Yes. Yeah. 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 Well the the Roman one is an exception. But what I'm presuming is people fly and are all over the place much more than they ever yes. were. And also, I mean, of course, great, um, great books about food are good reading texts, even if you're not going right. to make that's the right. thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's more telling the story than um, 
Yes. So it's 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 more it's in in a way it's more of a sort of intellectual book than a than a manual. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're 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 a great um, you're a great optimist, but you're also you know you're talking about your politics. How do you despair for the way the world is at the moment, or do you think it'll all be all right? Um, I don't think I despair in the long term. I think we are making a mess of the planet. How we're ever going to get through that, I don't know. I mean, if you imagine a thousand years from now, the planet's going to be in quite a different place. But maybe what'll happen, it'll cause a massive decrease in population eventually, as mm. everything goes completely wrong. Mm. Um, you don't you don't think that we have enough initiative to come as an optimist to to come through this and carry on doing what we wish to do. I think human beings will keep going. I think on um, mass we're not going to do the right thing. I mean, people like Trump will arrive and say, "I don't believe in all this shit. We're going to make America great again," or whatever he's saying. You know that. Um, I think that'll happen, probably happen in England. Do you, you, do you have grandchildren? Yes. And how, how do you, f I mean, do you fear f for them? Not really. I think it's all going to muddle along. It's going to be more difficult for them, I think. Mm, mm. I don't know. I mean, we, I mean, you're not quite the same generation as me, but we had an easy generation. Oh, very much think. so. Yeah, very much so. You know. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, you know, I asked my dad the same question, actually. Um, he was a little bit older than you. And, and he said he really did, he really did worry for, he felt that the world was going to yeah. really s struggle and suffer. Yeah. Didn't really, he didn't really elaborate beyond the fact that I think he thought Brexit was awful and he hated yeah. Boris Johnson and Yes. He, um, he didn't like um, Trump very clown. much. I mean, what are we doing? You know, this idiot stands up and makes all these claims and people believe it. <sighs> I, I mean, yeah. are no. we going to have another vote? Are you? Well, I don't think we know. I mean, we don't know that, but we certainly do know that all of the alternatives to the current Prime Minister from whichever party are all complete clowns. Yes. Or that's what I think, anyway. Yes, so do I. None of them work. I mean, the only, the, um, the only good one was Clegg and he's gone. Yeah. He's yeah. gone to the dark side. Yeah. Um, and, and the other, the, the sort of just on, on a, um, I, I, I don't want to keep you too long, but on, on a final note, I, one thing which is interesting to me and I, and I don't think I've ever talked to you about is you are a, a great advocate of and um, expert in foraging. And foraging is becoming extremely fashionable. Is that where does the sort of responsibility lie for for not us us not over foraging? How does society deal with us not over foraging? I should think much of it is a fad and it will die away. I think it, in some sense it will resolve itself. I mean, lots of wood owners have now forbidden mushrooming. You know, the new forest. Yes. Um, I did a foray a couple of weeks ago in the New Forest. I actually looked on their website, but they have a little notice saying no mushroom collecting. And you can... When I looked on the website, they said, oh, well, we don't really mean it. If you're collecting personally, that's OK. We're just trying to stop commercial foraging. Which is fair enough, I think. It's sort of fair enough, but, I mean, it's part of the whole... I mean, the 
the clever, and all the academics, I mean, I've got lots of friends at the Mycological Society who support this, that collecting mushrooms is damaging the ecology of the, the, the mushrooms or the mushroom sites, which I don't believe in at all. I just think it's complete rubbish. You don't think it's a matter of degree? No, not at all, no. no. I mean, their, their fruit, they try to propagate themselves by making spores, which then come off the fruit. So if you're collecting the fruit, you're spreading the spores so far if me away. So if me and a thousand fellow commercial chanterelle hunters went and took every single chanterelle in the forest of Dean, if they grow there, I don't yes. know. But, I mean, yes. that, you don't, that, that wouldn't... No. No, OK, interesting. No. I mean, which is what they do in sort of France and Spain and Italy. Because when it, we just pick them up and the spores come out and... Yeah, yeah, and they carry them away in baskets and they spread the spores. Yeah. And then I'm sure, basically, they pass through the gut anyway. So... Are you when you when you get to a restaurant and yes yeah okay yes yes because I mean the truffle which is a prime example thrives on being eaten it's there for the boars to eat and it puts out this sexual pheromone which attracts the boars the boars then eat it and they propagate the truffle mm. so it must pass through the gut Yes, of course, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's the example of a mushroom we know about that's asking to be eaten. Yes. And I feel the same is true of the others. What the hell are they making these fruiting bodies for? If they're not I to mean, be eaten. Some of them are, are, are eaten. I mean, the phallus impudicus makes this stuff that smells of rotten meat on the top. And flies settle on it, pick up the spores and propagate the spores by doing that. So they've invented other methods, but taking the mushrooms could easily be part yes. of it. And a lot of them are windborne, presumably. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, but that's slightly No, that's fascinating. I mean, it's interesting that's, because there's a lot of kind of... I believe very strongly they're on the wrong tack. Yeah, yeah. So just let it go, encourage people to be yeah. interested in them. Yeah, yeah. break the bloody law, really, yeah. if you like. Yeah. And um, have you read, um, just to sort of finish up, have you read um, Izzy Tree's book on wilding? No. You must read that. I, OK, I, I haven't got... I, I bought you a book. I was, I was thinking about bringing that, but I thought you might have read the, the wilding book. This is a, book. This is a book for, for you and Nikki um, of poems um, by um, some, some of the finest work um, by Kathleen Jamie, who... Um, really writes about nature and landscape. It's poems. Oh, wonderful. Um, and, and actually, the, the reason I bought it is not that I know it, although I've, I've read bits of it, but it's recommended by our friend Jeff Barrett, who has that brilliant Caught by the River yes. um, blog. Yes. So I figured if, if Jeff recommends it, it's, it's pretty good about Fantastic. nature on the whole. Yeah. Um, well, thank Lovely. you so much, Roger. Sorry, thank you. Great. I could talk no, to you all day. Yes. Um, you, are, you are so engaging, um, but thank you. I do hope you enjoyed that. Thank you very much for joining me. By the way, if you have made it this far, then it would be amazing if you were kind enough to rate me on iTunes. I, I don't really know if there's any purpose in that except for vanity, but um, I'm not going to pretend I'm not vain and I would like you to rate it. If you're going to rate it nicely, that is. If you don't like it, just leave me alone, please. Anyway, thank you very much to you for listening. Thank you to my friend Jim Friend for editing this and I will see you soon. Bye.